right, well, I get to share with you guys uh, the second part of our series, Revival.me. And I just really want to build on what Pastor Zach shared last week. So if you missed it, go listen to it. But I'm going to just kind of touch on a little bit. And I'm going to start with this verse in 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. This morning, I want to talk about revival through us. Last week, we talked about revival in us. This week, I want to talk about revival through us. Can we pray for just a minute? Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the great honor and privilege it is to share the word with your people. I pray that it would fall on hearts open, ears ready to hear and to be, uh, act on what you're saying, God, and I pray that you would just speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. So I looked up what the word revival means. You know, Webster's been replaced with Google, so I looked on Google. Um, I don't own an encyclopedia or a dictionary because I have a computer and an iPhone. But, you know, it's all the same. Maybe not. But So I Googled what revival means. And this is what revival actually means on Google. An improvement or recovery of a situation and restoration from one place to another. And so I want to talk about revival through us, what I think it looks like. I think it looks like forgiveness and reconciliation. And so I want to talk about that this morning because I don't think we can have big meetings where people get saved, healed, and delivered, and our families are broken and hurting and desperate. I think that's a mix-up of what revival is supposed to look like because it starts somewhere. It starts right here. And so um, forgiveness and reconciliation... Um, In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, we have an example of what our life is supposed to look like, and it's Jesus. It's being a Christian. You know, some of these words like Christianity or being a Christian or even the word religion has been so tainted by falsehoods of what people have painted a picture of what it's supposed to look like. But what it actually is supposed to look like is really beautiful. And so I don't I don't necessarily think those are bad words because when I say I'm a Christian, that means my life is looking like Jesus more and more every day. So when we talk about Christianity... You know, there's a whole lot of negativity around that. But when I'm talking about it to us this morning as a church, I'm talking about a way of life that looks like Jesus. And Jesus looks a lot like love. And so I want us to redefine what it means to be a Christian. Because when we walk in that life-giving um, representation of who God is, we are lives lived out with forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, my husband talks about how our heart should look like the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is the place where there is no sin that's retained. The mercy seat is the place in the tabernacle where the blood of of the sacrifice was laid so that the sins could be forgiven. And now the mercy seat is inside of you and I. And so that's the place where there can be no retention of sin. There cannot be any withholding of love. There cannot be any withholding of forgiveness and grace and, and what we give one another because it's the mercy seat. 
So when we invite, we have these words in Christian, when we invite Jesus into our heart, right? That's what we, we talk about, the, the moment when Jesus comes in. When we invite him into our heart, what we're saying is, God, I want to be the mercy seat. You were my mercy seat. Now I'm going to be the mercy seat for other people. See, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, my husband handed me this book, and I was like, well, I'm not going to read it before I preach. And then I did, and, you know, the things your husbands teach you, wives, we should listen. Um, when we forgive, we're restoring a bond of love. See, when a bond of love is broken, we see people not as people, but we see them as objects of our hate, offense, and discourse. So we've removed the humanity off the people we have unforgiveness towards because they're now the object of our unforgiveness. So it's easy for us to walk in a place of unforgiveness because we no longer see the humanity of the other person. What happens when we choose to forgive, we restore the bond of love, and now we no longer look at the person as an object of our offense, but we look at them as the human person they are with the bond being restored. That's forgiveness. That's what it looks like. And the second thing, reconciliation. I want to read this scripture. It's so good in Matthew um, I have two versions back there. Let me decide and pick one. I'm going to read the Passion Translation. Uh, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it says, So then if you are presenting a gift before the altar in the temple, and suddenly you remember a quarrel you have with a fellow believer, leave your gift there in the front of the altar and go at once to apologize with the one who is offended. Then after you have reconciled, come to the altar and present your gift. You know what I see a picture of? I see a picture of God exalting reconciliation over worship. God exalting reconciliation over giving. God exalting reconciliation over preaching, over programs over the pulpit, over our call, over our ministry. God exalting reconciliation over these things. Because if it's not right with your brother, don't bring your gift to the altar. So that's not me saying it, it's the Bible, so you can't get mad at me. But I wonder what a community would look like when we all decide that before I come to the altar, I'll go make it right with my brother. I think I've seen what communities look like when we don't do that, and they end up in really big messes, and we see them on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News as disgraces to Christianity because we've exalted things above relationship. Do you ever see something where a really awesome ministry falls because there's an affair or there's something happening and it's usually in the personal life of the leader because for some reason we prioritize this above this. And when I think if you read the life of Jesus, he prioritizes relationship over everything. 
He prioritizes relationship over everything. And so I see this affect us in three ways. The first way I see revival is the prodigal son. And I wrote some stuff down in worship. Revival is the prodigal son because the prodigal son is about somebody belonging before he believed. Somebody belonging before they believed. You know, I think I said this before, but um, I have five babies, if you don't know. Some of them are not babies anymore. They're actually, like, bigger than me, which is unfortunate because I can't spank them. No, I'm kidding. <sighs> um, I guess I could still spank them, right? Just kick them. No, I'm kidding. I love them so much. Um, but my little tiny babies that were growing in a seed in my belly, they didn't know that they were my children, but they were my children. They didn't have an understanding that they were a Wexler, but they were still a Wexler. They belonged before they believed. And revival is understanding that people belong before they believe and that there's a prodigal son, so to speak, humanity that is just, God is just waiting for them to come home. And they don't even have to walk all the way home because God meets them, right? (laughs) God meets them. So it's about belonging before you believe. It's about being forgiven before you even repent. It's about being forgiven before you even repent. See, sometimes in our charismatic Western thinking, we have a God that's so full of justice that he can't forgive before people repent. But he forgave 2,000 years ago. We just have to receive. Last, um, Last service, I talked about this. Sometimes when we talk about receiving, we think it's an act. But if I buy you a gift and give it to you, you did nothing to get that gift. I purchased it, I wrapped it, I brought it to you, I hand it to you, that's receiving. Receiving isn't doing something, it's just receiving. The prodigal son, revival is the prodigal son. Belonging before you believe, and being forgiven before you repent. Number two, revival is a table. Revival is a table. You're like, Rochelle, you're such a weirdo with these three things. Let me just say this. The first commandment, the table was the first thing God commanded his people to build in the tabernacle after the ark. The first thing that God told his people to build in the tabernacle after the ark was a table. Why? For the bread of presence. Because at the center of the table is Jesus. It starts with the table, and it ends with the table. Now, the Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? If you've been in church for any period of time, you heard about what happens in heaven. We're going to be sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It starts with the table, with Jesus at the center, and it ends with the table, with Jesus at the center. See, something happens 
when we sit at a table with people and we choose to love, forgive, accept, receive them. One of my um, mentors and kind of spiritual parents, uh, Devi Titus, she revolutionized the way I thought about this in my own life with my children. She talks about how the moral decline in the United States went down when we removed tables. We put in bar stools and coffee tables in front of the TV because we stopped engaging with our children at a table. I don't know about you guys, but the table in my house is some of the funnest, craziest, and most authentic times in our home. There are times where my kids are half-naked dancing on the table, and there's times that we're crying and prophesying over each other and speaking into the hearts of each other as a family. Our table is sacred. Our table is a holy place. And we've sometimes painted religion to be that we have to be in church for it to be holy and sacred and all of these things. And we remove some of the most sacred, intimate places we have with our family. And that's the table. You have unforgiveness with someone or there's something going on. Sit down, have a meal, break bread, look at each other in the eyes. Say what you need to say. Be real, be authentic, and let the Holy Spirit and God do what he wants to do at a table. Because revival is a table. And the third thing, I'm changing notes, is revival is family. And I can talk about this so much um, because so many times we've forsaken that thing called family. You know, I was talking to somebody about this after first service. How many people do you know where their whole family is intact? Mom, dad, grandparents, children, and everybody is together. Everybody has the same heart. The problem is, is that our society doesn't value the family like they used to. We've changed and we've become so individualistic as a society that we forget that we're about a community. It's about a family. It's about connection. It's about interaction. And then there's this scripture and it talks about order of a family and it talks about the qualifications of a leader. Um, And I don't have this scripture ready, but I was thinking about this there. God is giving specific qualifications of a a leader, and it's a husband to one wife and a father of children that are not disobedient. And 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 I've always thought, okay, that's good because people need to see wholeness. That's how I interpreted it. People need to see uprightness, and and people need to see that, you know, um, husband and one wife and kids that aren't disobedient and stuff like that. But you know what I, I thought about just this week? It's not God elevating some sort of external holiness so other people see what it's supposed to look like. It's God saying, I care so much about your heart and your family that I would rather you make that right before you ever walk into any sort of call or leadership position or you ever try to minister outside of that unit I care so much that your children are intact, that your your spouse is loved well. I care so much about the family that I think that should be first. So revival is a family. 
Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't look like revival in your house if you're a single mom or or you don't have or you're just you by yourself. I'm saying in general that if it can't be done in an intimate place with the people that we're most familiar with, I would question if revival is really flowing through your life. Because we do want revival in our communities. We do want the dead raised, the sick healed. We want these things. We, we want outreaches where lots of people get saved. We want to minister the gospel. We want to preach the gospel to the poor, the hurting, the broken. But if we can't let revival flow through us in the simplest ways with the people that know us best, I would question if we even really know what revival is. So I check my heart with my kids because they know me best. They see the good, bad, and the ugly. My husband loves me and gives me way more grace than my children do. So I can't gauge myself with him because he just loves me until there's like nothing bad left. But my kids quite haven't learned that, so there's grace for them. Um, So I gauge where I'm at in my heart with the way my kids respond to me. You know, the three or four days out of the month when it's like momzilla in the house, um, you know, and everybody's afraid to talk, to move, or to put a crumb on the floor. Like, those are days where I'm checking my heart. And if moms, you're really honest with yourself, you'll just understand that's how it is, too, with your, with, in your house. Um, you know, a couple, a couple of times ago I preached, and my, there's a bathroom in my house. My kids aren't allowed to go number two in because <laughs> it's the guest bathroom, and I hate cleaning toilets. So it gets cleaned once a week. And if you go number two in that bathroom, you're cleaning that toilet if we have guests because I'm not doing it. And then one of my five children, I'm not going to name any names or put them on blast because I've done this before and I feel bad, but one of them keeps forgetting. So, And then we have guests over, but they're like friends of my kids and I yell at them too. You can't go to the bathroom in that toilet. It's a really serious thing in my house. Like, you have to be there. And my one kid that keeps forgetting that he's not supposed to go in that bathroom, I have a conversation with him. You, him, sorry, and that narrowed it down to two of the five. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) I'm like, you're not forgetting. You don't care. That's my thing in my house. If you forget over and over again, it's not forgetting, it's not caring. But you ever have those moments where you're just like momzilla, dadzilla, brotherzilla, where it's just everybody better watch out because here she comes. Those are moments where I really check my heart because am I being a fountain of God's love and reconciliation and forgiveness, wholeness and healing and love, or am I dried up? I'm going to read this scripture in Isaiah 58. It says, And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water 
whose waters do not fail. See, there's a source that we have of water that never runs dry, of a fountain that never stopped, of love and grace that flows continually, and all we have to do is step into it and receive it. When we have the Holy One in the, on the inside of us, God fills every place of who we are. But when we receive the, the Spirit of God, something should change inside of us. It should look different to be a Christian. See, I think sometimes Christianity gets the wrong label because Christians don't look any different than anybody else. And when your Christianity doesn't look any different, it's now not any more hopeful and not any more faith-filled, not any more peaceful, not any more loving than somebody else, then I would question whether you even understand what Christianity means and looks like, or if you've even walked in it. Because when you receive the Holy One, the Spirit of God, your life should look different. It should look like strength to your bones. It should be like a watered garden, like spring water whose waters don't fail. That's what life-giving revival looks like through you and I. It looks like love. It looks like refreshing to the thirsty. Are you refreshing or are you dried up? So that's what I would ask you this morning, and that's what I would ask you to take away from this message about revival.me through us is are you refreshing waters or are you a dried well? And all it takes to become refreshing again, I, I look at it like this, like say the center of this platform is like a rushing water and it goes straight out, but I don't want to get wet, so I just step right over here and I'm not getting wet anymore. Now I'm dry. This is what it looks like to step back in to the refreshing well of God that never runs dry. Just take a step back in and receive what he's constantly giving out of his heart. His well never runs dry. His well never runs dry. He never stops giving. He never stops refreshing. And so in our life, in what it looks like to be a Christian, to live in revival, it looks like forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your presence, your Holy, Holy Spirit that just lives and works through us, your people. I thank you that you're teaching us what it looks like to live in sustained revival in our lives that it's not just a, a meeting or an event, but it is a continuous living out of life-giving love in and through us by your Holy Spirit. 
where my life looks like for perpetual forgiveness, perpetual forgiveness, my heart like the mercy seat, and relationships in my life reconciled, restored, and whole. And it looks like a heart that says the prodigals can come because they're safety. It looks like a table where my enemies can meet me there and meet and have a meal and we meet face to face. And it looks like a family that's whole and in order and purposeful. I thank you that that's what you're teaching us as your people. So God, we, in this moment, we just say yes to what you have for us. We say yes to revival through us. Can you say that with me? Say, I say yes to revival through my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you need prayer for anything, I'm going to invite my prayer team to come up and make themselves available. And if you need healing or wholeness, or or maybe you're like, I don't really even know if I have ever had that holy one, that life-giving source, that person of Jesus on the inside. And I want to give my life to him. You can do that this morning too. So I just encourage you to find one of our team members and... Um, and pray with them. And if it's your first time, we have an engaged section at the back and you can meet one of our team leaders back there and uh, they'll have answer any questions, tell you about our revival groups and all that kind of stuff. All right. Bless you. Have an amazing, amazing week. We'll see you back next Sunday. I love you. You're dismissed.